Hey, Carl, Jason here. Great interview with Eric Lamroux. Really enjoyed it. And, you, you know, I really think you should be running Boomstick for your birthday game. Just saying. Oh, 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 oh. Welcome to the Geomologist Presents. That was the incomparable Jason Connerly at the top of the show. Actually predicting the future. We were able to play some Boomstick way before my birthday. And I'll talk about that in this show. You can also uh, hear a recap in Jason's episode 352 of his Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And uh, we got a great call from Colin Green. I respond to that. It was a really good week. I was able to play in a game of Reaver and run two Savage Worlds games, including Boomstick and Deadlands. And I'll talk about that in the show. And uh, I will give my mini review of Devastation on the Nation tour, a metal show that I saw um, this past week as well. So uh, sit back, enjoy, and uh, take it away, Colin. I uh, just wanted to thank you for sharing your interview with Mr. Lamaru. Um, I am a sucker for these interviews with designers and, and the creative folk who put so much time into just making stuff that for the for the enjoyment of, of making it and sharing it with other people. The inspiration and the the source of inspiration is something that fascinates me and folks like yourself that go out and find these guys or girls and record their um their stories is uh, it's it's just awesome so i'll take my hat off to you uh and mr lamaru mind blown two or three hundred hours getting the scenery together for a con game awesome stuff take care and i'll catch you later Hey, Colin, thanks for that. Yeah, Eric's really cool. He's um, very generous with his time, actually. And we hung out with him a little bit, Amy and I, at Chupacabra Con. And, you know, he likes to talk about games, likes to talk about um, 80s and 90s, thrash and metal. Um, just a good guy. He's good to hang out with. And uh, I, I was very happy with how the interview went. Um, we talked at after and I probably should have kept recording maybe had an addendum to it but I'm sure you know I'm sure we'll see him again in the future and, and maybe when Boomstick actually officially comes out uh, we can plan something else to do and uh, yeah I'm, I'm going up to maybe I'll get try to get some interviews in when I go up to North Texas RPG Con at least with maybe Ben Burns who's created Corsairs of Cthulhu I'm playing in one of his games 
uh, maybe the um, the infamous, notorious Jason Hobbs of Hobbs and Friends. He and I are going to probably be hanging out a lot together. Uh, maybe I'll be able to interview him, or maybe he'll interview me. I don't know. Maybe we'll interview somebody. I don't know. It should be pretty cool. I uh, can't wait uh, for North Texas RPG Con. I'm glad cons are opening up again after a, a couple-year hiatus because of the uh, pandemic, but uh, it should be pretty fun. I'm running a couple games. Um, I'm running Bone Collectors again, and it's it gets better every time, really. Um, I've gotten kudos for the uh, luck battle that I do. I really got to write that up before someone else does. Um, and I'm running a Weird Frontiers game, and hopefully David Beatty, the author of Weird Frontiers, won't be looking over my shoulder uh, while I run it. And then I'm playing in some really cool games, actually. I'm playing in one of Hobbs's games, um, a playtest that he's running. And then I'm going to play in Ringworld. I have the box set. Man, maybe I'll take the box set so I can have that reference with me. Or I don't know. We'll see. But I'm playing Ringworld. I'm playing um, some DCC or MCC, maybe. It's something like a hybrid space fantasy uh, using DCC, MCC rules. And then I'm also playing, like I said, in Ben Burns. Of course, there's a Cthulhu game. Um, so it should be a fun-filled weekend, uh, and that's in a couple weeks from now, so I still have time to prep. Or uh, I really don't have to prep for Bone Collectors, I think, at this point. I just roll with it and uh, have a lot of props and things like that. Uh, Weird Frontiers game, um, few for a few coppers more, I'm a little nervous about because it kind of messed up the number of people that I wanted to play. Uh, they interpreted... Uh, four and some zero levels as 12 and I really can only probably handle six so but there's already 12 people signed up so I got to figure that out and I've contacted uh, the organizers because we can't as a the way they set it up as a game master you can't contact the people you're running for um, but uh, hopefully we'll figure that out in this next couple weeks anyway Colin thank you for the call and now we'll get into some well, I'll talk about, I'll talk about, yeah, we'll get into some recaps, I think, first. Like I said, I was able to play in or run three games this week. I played in one and ran two, just to be a bit more specific. And the first game I played in was Reaver, run by Joe Salvatore of Raven, Salvador, actually. Raven God Games. I don't know why we I keep Italianizing his name. Uh, anyway, he corrected me, and it's Salvador. Um, he is the author of Eldritch Tales. Uh, he has run or created and published a Hyperborea module called uh, the Fane of the Serpent Goddess. I believe that's the name of it. Uh, I'm sure you could or failed Fane of the Coiled Serpent. There's no Serpent Goddess. Spoiler. Um, anyway, it's very good. Uh, it's a really cool uh, subsetting for Hyperborea, but part of Hyperborea, which is a neat thing of Hyperborea. Go back and listen to why you should play Hyperborea, and you'll get some more info. Um, anyway, he's we're, we have the privilege to be able to be part of his playtest group, um, and we're running a, an adventure or a saga called uh, Spears in the Mist. And this last time, some crazy, crazy fun stuff happened. 
and I will give you a summary. Also, uh, playing in this game with me are Joe Richter of Hindsightless, who plays Wolfgar, and Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, who plays Brutus. Neither of them were able to, or sorry, Jason was unable to make it um, this last time, and unfortunately, Joe is going to have to uh, take a break uh, w from this game, which is unfortunate because it's really fun to play with Joe. Uh, maybe he's leaving. No, he's not leaving because of me. Um, anyway, so here's what happened. It was a very exciting episode of Reaver. So we made a quick search of the town, and we confirmed that two of this diplomat, quote-unquote, Rogamir's men were not present. Uh, Rogamir's from Rostock, and he's trying to get our chieftain, uh, Metaric, to betray uh, his current uh, obligations or liege lord obligations, but uh, I took the lead and we went to where the Rostock folk were being held. We interrogate a guy, kind of good cop, bad cop style, and learned that two riders were sent back to Rostock just before the chieftain's meeting, and he doesn't know why, but they were carrying a message. Knowing that the riders have at least an hour head start, uh, we get some of uh, the Huskarls and strike out at speed along a mountain trail to Rostock. And before long, we come upon the messengers. Spooked, they attempt to spur and outrace us, but they cannot outrun arrows and bolts. One rider's horse is struck. Laszlo hits it, and Laszlo catches up with him and gives a second a spear wound. But uh, interestingly, I guess from Askold's point of view, Wolfgar's sorcery strikes down one of the men in a fiery display. He just becomes charred ash when he hits the ground it's really crazy like a spontaneous wolfgark did some sort of sorcery that created spontaneous combustion in the man and he fell and broke apart into pieces of charcoal i guess we searched their belongings and found a message concerning troop numbers defenses food supply of redstone so it seems like they're gonna they're planning to invade as well as information concerning a sergeant rigor and his men who've not been heard from I think those are the heads we placed on the road and put a sign that said, um, uh, this is what happens to bandits. And speculation was in the note that they were killed by some interloping travelers. They also have a final message that says Ruthless was seen here. And if you recall last time we met Ruthless and uh, uh, he was able to give his side of the, the story uh, to our chieftain Metric. So, Anyway, we take the surviving riders and the messages back to Manderic, who has put the rider to death. Within a few days, we then leave and head south. Uh, I think I think Metric's going to put all these guys to death. We suggested burning them out. Um, anyway, we lead. Uh, we go past the outlying Gebig farms and into the wilderness. We follow the Askar River for nearly ten days. We see giant deer, bear, wolves, or tracks of. We don't see them. Uh, saber-toothed lions and smaller fauna um, by the 10th day Cato who's our guide spies a jutting cliffside he recognizes he says there's a lonely farmhouse not far off and we reach it the late the following day uh, we first come upon a great auroch drinking from the river and we see it's a broken rope so I'm able to take hold of the creature calm it down and uh, I we see that when we go back to this um, farmhouse that Cato knows about there's no smoke rising from the chimney um, there are no other animals about chickens, goats, and the bulls made are all missing. Though Cato says the farmer had them. There's a cautious search of the stead and reveal that the, it's empty of life. The cow pen is open, so I secure the auroch. 
Um, I'm going to name him Blue. I don't know why he's not blue. Maybe he's blue. I don't know. Joe, you never established uh, the coloration of the Auroch. I'm sure there could be a lot of different patterns um, for their, you know, skin tone. Anyway, the farmer seemed to be in some, some sort of alchemist, and he has a book filled with notes on ingredients and recipes for things like berserker oil and the verdant vapors, uh, which I think is what uh, Brutus does after he eats beans. And then we track outside. The tracks outside are unclear due to the rain, but are certainly a few days old. We see some booted feet, animal tracks, and tracks of bare human feet. Not bare feet, but bare human feet. And we speculate that the farmer maybe has used his unusual oils upon himself. So the rain continues and we decide to stay in the cottage with the glowing heart that we got to going and a good meal in our bellies. We were able to cook some stuff and eat, eat food. We uh, put the horses under a, you know, a, a, a lean-to shelter. And I guess, I don't know, I guess hopefully the Arak has its own shelter. Uh, maybe we'll bring them all inside. But outside, darkness falls, a mist clings to the ground, and the drizzle drowns out other sounds. So that was reverb. It was a really fun session. Um, Joe always runs things extremely well. I mean, it's the advantage of him knowing the backstory and the lore of everything that's going on, and he presents it well. I was, I was engaged. Uh, sometimes I'm not engaged. I apologize, Joe, uh, for work or whatever reasons. But this time I was very engaged, and I had a, a great time playing it. I'm really enjoying the campaign. I can't wait to see uh, what this these bare feet lead to, and eventually what's going to happen in the Valley of the Mists is where our final destination, hopefully not our final destination, but at least our destination on this quest will be. Hey guys, correction here. Joe Salvador's uh, Hyperborea module is called Forgotten Fane of the Coiled Goddess. Look it up, find it, Google it. It's a really good adventure. I was able to run this week a an iteration of the Boomstick Jumpstart by Eric Lamaru, who I interviewed last week. And we were pretty excited about the game and wanting to check it out. So uh, myself, my wife Amy, Arlen Walker of Live from Pelham's Wasteland, and Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast decided to play it. I ran it as the, uh, the GM, and it uses the uh, um, Savage Worlds latest edition, the suede rules. And um, we had a good time. We definitely had a good time. It's a really fun game. I can't wait for the final product. Um, Amy played the drummer. Um, I think her name was, uh, I want to say it was Corina or Carrie Sticks Drummond. I think it was Carrie Sticks Drummond. And then Jason played Sparks the roadie. And Arlen played Bobby Johnson, Robert Johnson, the shredder, the guitarist. Um, uh, we only needed three. Uh, it was a, a really smooth adventure, a really good fight scene at the beginning. I'm going to try to make this some, somewhat spoiler-free and just give you a general outline. What I really liked is that uh, like the way it starts is um, you kind of supply all the details, so it makes it very malleable. Um, and, uh, you know, and you can play it often and often because everyone's going to come up with something different. So Amy uh, came up with the that they were a glam metal, started as a tribute band, kind of glam metal in the vein of Motley Crue, 
um, and they actually had Tommy Lee show up as a patron there uh, to the show, and then uh, everyone kind of gave their names and told them what they played and you know what their best song was. And Amy said their their uh, their most popular song was "I Try to Use My Crypto," and their name of the band is called the Terabytes or Terabytes Terabytes. However, and um, I'm sure Amy will come up with the logo for them at some point. Um, it was it was actually a very fun. So again, there was like a initial combat, and then um, the players are transported somewhere. There is a, some really cool, I would say, dramatic, um, dramatic scenes during that time. You know, not really combats, but more. Uh, yeah, they're called dramatic tasks and dramatic scenes um, in in the suede rules. And then there's a big finale, which is really fun. Um, I think everyone got to be very heroic, damage the big bad, and I think. Jason Connerly um, blew it up, which was hella cool. Um, so he got to, even though by that time his character was pretty screwed, messed up, uh, he had started with only one arm, a shotgun arm, as, as it were, and lost his hand uh, later on, but, uh, but managed to, to come out you know, golden uh, with a way to eventually repair his hand if we were to continue the campaign. So um, it, was, it was really fun. I can't wait uh, to uh, to play some more. I mean, I don't know if we'd want to continue with these characters once and again. Maybe we'll wait for the final product. Um, these characters are definitely not novices, which are supposed to start out as like a garage band, and they were kind of at the club level um, at this point, playing at the Hard Rock Cafe uh, in Las Vegas, which is not a big venue, but you know, I'm sure you know, but uh, a big-ish venue. So um, I, I feel like they were built kind of a season, at least a seasoned uh, character. So uh, really good. Uh, the care, everyone really enjoyed the little quirks and edges and hindrances for, for the player characters. So well done, Eric uh, Lamoureux, and we hope to play uh, some more at some point. You can also hear Jason's impressions of the Boomstick game in his episode of Nerd RPG Variety Cast number 352. I'll put the link in the show notes. Go check it out. And that is Boomstick. Before I get into my last recap, I'm going to, you know, comment about something. So in Eric's uh, manuscript of Boomstick, he wrote, uh, nobody listens to heavy metal anymore but this is your life and you are convinced that you can make it popular again. You know, having me gone recently to the devastation of the nation show up in Austin at come and take it live. I think metal is alive and well, I mean, Eric counter that well metals not hasn't been in the top 40 since the eighties and do kids listen. And I, and I say, you know, well, metal is definitely not on terrestrial radio. We have a local radio station here. That used to be at the cutting edge of metal. In fact, when Judas Priest was here, they um, called out one of the old uh, old DJs that used to be here at 99.5 Kiss um, and uh, said that he helped start them way back in, you know, between 74 and 76, or at least played them on the radio. But, but man, Kiss honestly plays stuff from the 90s still, like, you know, Stabbing Westward and, and Nickelback, so angry, emo, college dude music, I guess. Um, and um, 
metal, if you want to find it, you got to look on satellite radio. Uh, Liquid Metal is a fantastic show. They really promote the latest and greatest in metal and all kinds of metal too. Um, but, um, oh, and also YouTube. YouTube is huge, as you may know, if you listen to podcasts and watch YouTube videos. Um, and a lot of the people uh, nowadays who want to find good metal or the latest metal, uh, look at the YouTube and follow, follow, subscribe and follow certain bands. And I would say it definitely, this time around, the demographic was different. And when I say that, I, I, I say that, um, you know, I would say when I was growing up, it was like 90-10, 90% men, 10% women. And there were, at this show, which is, you know, I'll list the bands and you probably, my listeners have probably not heard of most of them, but, um, but there, I would say it's like, it was like 70-30. Uh, there are more women that I, than I've seen at a show before. And really getting into it, jumping into the mosh pit. So uh, maybe that's always been that way. And I'm just, you know, I've, I haven't seen it or I've had blinders on uh, or my own prejudices have prevented me from seeing that, yes, uh, metal, the metal community is, is as diverse, both with gender and uh, ethnicity, for sure, which is very cool. I mean, there's always been a close relationship to me between metal and gaming and both communities have always been in my experience, uh, diverse and open and welcoming to everyone. So um, your mileage may vary with that, but that's, like I said, my experience. So it was a really good show. Um, The bands that played were Bruca was the first band that played, and they're kind of actually the the guitarist, I believe, from that band works at Come and Take It Live, so they had a pretty good following. And then we heard from Storm Ruler, which in a way is a, a, they definitely had, they, they had Dark Soul playing in, as their in-between songs music, the Dark Soul soundtrack, and they had some riffs that were reminiscent to me of Iced Earth. So they were like, a, like an Iced Earth, but with more guttural vocals. They even did a cover of Storm Rider by Iced Earth. Haha, <laughs> makes sense. They're, the name of their band is called Storm Ruler. I bet they play D&D. The next band after that was Veil of Noth. That's P-N-A-T-H. Yes, that's a Lovecraftian reference. I bet they play Call of Cthulhu. So them, Ghost Bath, and Abigail Williams were kind of a, a more of a, a definitely gloom death metal. So like heavy chords, ponderous songs, more screeching lyrics as opposed to the quote-unquote cookie monster so screeching lyrics in the vein of cradle of filth um i i I, it was interesting that the singer from veil of noth and abigail williams were the same person this guy has like multiple projects which is typical um but it was good i I was good but it wasn't like my style i'm not a big fan of of gloom metal Um, although i guess they would work well with the with groups like mazdadon or gojita um, who was kind of like, you know, you, what I've heard, I do not partake in this, but you know, it sounds better when you smoke some weed. It's that sort of ponderous dull tones that kind of get you going. Uh, if you might know what I mean. So after them, well, I mean, this, there were seven bands that played. So like eight hours of, of heavy metal music and people really, uh, pretty well attended, 
I would say, for a Wednesday night. Um, and then the two bands that I was impressed with uh, were Bork Nagar, which was the sub-undercard uh, sub second headliner, maybe. I don't know. Um, they're, a, they're a band. They're kind of Viking folk metal. And they have both melodic and guttural vocals with multiple singers. And their music is just really good. They have origins. Um, some of the members used to be in Dimu Borgir, uh, which is sort of a classic, you know, uh, Scandinavian, uh, thra uh, I would say, death metal um, band. And Bork Nagar, they just have some, like, really good music. And I was impressed um, with them. I definitely, not having heard of them, sort of sight unseen, not having listened to them, I definitely looked up a lot of their stuff on um, I, I have Amazon Music Unlimited, so I looked up their stuff, and and I definitely I would recommend to you to look up Bork Nagar up north. It's a very happy song. Uh, you would be surprised. It's a really good song too. It just makes you feel good. Uh, the last band that played the headliners were Rotting Christ. I had not heard them. I've heard of them, but not heard their music. And uh, interestingly, they're out of Greece, um, and. Uh, and their music is also sort of this gothic death metal, but not as like, uh, but a bit more upbeat, I would say, than the the three middle bands, uh, that sort of gloom death metal. Uh, so this gothic death metal, you know, a lot of sort of chanting, almost ritualistic type vocals and, and vocal ideations. Uh, the singer had both melodic and guttural vocals, and uh, they played really well, uh, very... People really got into it. Um, heavy moshing, angry moshing for sure. Uh, we were like above, like on a kind of railing above that, and could see the pit form and and get bigger and bigger. And it uh, took up the whole, you know, kind of bottom floor of the come and take it venue. But uh, very, uh, very impressive. Everyone's much into it. And I would say, in conclusion, I would say metal's alive and well. Uh, it might not be mainstream, which to me is a good thing, but there are plenty of people who partake in it, live it, love it, go to these shows, um, and uh, I'm very happy because metal is metal is very important to me. So um, I love I love the classic stuff, but I love you know finding new bands, and I think that's very cool. So anyway, horns up. Um, not for UT, Austin. Horns up, raise your horns. For metal, it's alive and well, despite what you may hear. So the last game that I ran was our Deadlands game. It's been somewhat sporadic because of travel on both parties. We play with our friends um, that we meet for dinner on Sundays. Like every Sunday we meet for dinner and either go out or play games. And uh, we've just been missing because of uh, one travel or another. But uh, we were able to get together to continue our Deadlands game. And I didn't realize how how devastating the ghost rock explosion was um one of the characters had like two wounds 
was fatigued. Um, one of the player characters, no, not the player. Well, the player characters was fatigued because they had ran like a marathon relay the day before, but their character was also fatigued and wounded pretty bad. Um, they had, she soaked damage from the big ghost rock explosion uh, to not become incapacitated. Uh, the other player characters who had been able to heal uh, Hex up, that's who got injured. Um, but we're now, what do we do now? And that's how we were, we had stopped. And well, so there's ghost rock everywhere. So uh, Sam, my wife Amy's uh, character, goes out and collects as much ghost rock as possible and was able to grab like five pounds of it. Um, and then Hex and Jake a kind of retreat back to uh, the Len Buckles house. That was sort of the house of horrors where they had fought a, a demonic piano and all these spirits. But um, so they are able to get back. They pick up a few bits of ghost rock on the way that they notice. Um, Hex is really messed up. So they decide, well, we got to get her to, to the dock. They know of a dock in town. They hope he is uh, friendly. So they kind of go down um, they retreat from Len Buckle's place, even though they haven't yet explored the upper floor. Um, I guess I should have prefaced this that there are some spoilers here, uh, but I definitely this horror on uh, Headstone Hill is a, very much of a sandbox. There are sure there are plot points, but it can go in very many directions. And I would say my group has gone. A little bit off the rail so there is some spoilers here um, but um, hey if you're never gonna play it keep listening so um, oh, what was cool is Eric said he played it and had a great time Eric Lamoureux so uh, anyway <clears throat> where were we so they uh, they kind of with Jake's help Hex was able to make it uh, to back to the hotel uh, with the big explosion of ghost rock they knew people were like rushing out there after someone yelled oh my god a ghost rock explosion Woo! Um, and, uh, Amy's character went to get Lucky and Bucky to send them on errands. Uh, Bucky was being sent with, uh, Moise, who is the livery stable guy to collect more ghost rock and Lucky was sent to get the dock. So I had him do like little, um, I had him draw cards here and there to see if anything happened like off screen for Lucky and Bucky. Um, Bucky was able to collect some more with, uh, some more ghost rock with Moise um, and come back to the livery, no problem. Lucky apparently got into a brawl, um, but was uh, was able to successfully bring the doctor back. Apparently, there is a lot of contention already in town about what to do. Uh, undoubtedly, uh, the person who used to own the ghost rock was pretty upset about having heard that his ghost rock, giant piece of ghost rock, was found. It was that 66.6 pound hunk of ghost rock, but now it is now blown up into many, many pieces probably 666 pieces if one were counting so anyway they are able to get the doc to treat uh hex um there's a weird uh encounter with the the owner of the hotel's husband who seems to say something weird like that hex is glowing but he's kind of he's kind of out of it um, he's not he's not altogether there uh they feel um, kind of a slow-witted individual, um, but they don't, they just get up to the room, don't really pursue it, but are but are generally kind to this person. So they get Hex treated, 
and get to rest after the crazy events of that night. Um, the next day, they go down to breakfast at the hotel, and uh, they're confronted by uh, the son of the the big boss of Heaston Hill. Uh, so Jerem Heaston's son, Maxim Heaston, com confronts him and says, my daddy wants to talk. And Amy played Sam to say, no, nah, I don't think so. And there is like a verbal confrontation. The guy threatened, you know, showed his, his cult, you know, revolver or whatever, a cult peacemaker. But uh, the players kept cool. They kept it. Uh, they kind of talked this guy down and said, well, we'll go see your daddy uh, when we go see your daddy, pretty much. And uh, I don't think it was warranted an escalation at this point. So uh, they went about their business. They went. They had actually promised to go visit the doctor, who gave him some. Who actually was a member. Who is a member of the Twilight Legion, um, one of their out. The kind of the group, the the kind of group of do-gooders that the current that the characters are a part of, sort of tacitly, only only through correspondence with the with a muck a famous muckraker. Um, anyway, so they. They get some information about uh, the guy they're looking for, um, this missing agent, <clears throat> and then they go get some more information about him from this place that they hadn't visited before, the sort of general store and emporium. They re they kind of reloaded on ammo, and Jake bought a couple more dynamite, couple dynamite sticks because um, he had used them along the way um, in various misadventures. I think one one to close a portal of bat. Uh, winged Batman things and another one to uh, blow up I forgot so he blew up something else at some point I think he uh, blew up uh, barracks in Fort Laramie maybe anyway uh, he kind of got a couple more dynamite sticks let's just say probably will you have to use them at some point so uh, then they go and visit uh, Jerem Heaston they kind of have a conversation where Heaston says well I'm the boss I don't know who you people are, but I'm the boss type of thing. He postures. He tries to get some information about themselves from him. Amy's character is able to uh, push that off. But uh, the other two players, well, Heaston learned a little bit about them. But it's an amicable parting. No violence ensues. Of course, they go there with Heaston unaware. So, you know, they see one... One of his the Heaston's boys like run to a nearby saloon to get his son Maxim and the rest of the gang, um, and they come busting in while the character player characters having a conversation with Heaston. But you know, it's a peaceful conversation, and and Big Daddy Jerem lets Maxim know, "Butt out, kid, we got this." They're adults talking here, type of thing. So um, so it was good. It was really good interaction. Oh, they did get a lead from Jerem Heaston about uh, that this guy has in possession a uh, Agent Gatling gun. Um, so they go to the place, and that's where we had some, you know, good little uh, barroom brawl. Um, Hex doesn't kill anyone, which is amazing. Instead, using non-lethal means, the butt of her rifle to knock people out, which is great. Um, Amy and this guy Elmer Payne um, get into a wrestling match. When he denies he has a gun, they get pulled behind the bar, uh, fire, you know, the, the, somehow a lantern gets knocked over when this happens and fire kind of courses across the, the bar top. 
uh, but Jake is able to put it out and intimidate uh, the rest of the patrons, some which leave, some which decide they want to fight. Uh, the barroom bar brawl ensues. Uh, I think Jake only gets shaken, and eventually the heroes prevail, knocking a few people out, uh, grabbing Elmer over the shoulder, and uh, getting out stealthily out of the bar. Um, that was a really fun little fight, little brawl. And then when they go back to the livery, uh, they interrogate Elmer, and he tells them he got the gun from this um, rustler bandit who is being held in the jail, so they got to investigate that. And then, um, then uh, now that they have all this ghost rock, they see Moise and and Bucky kind of kind of playing cards. Bucky loses, and Moise collects some of the some of the ghost rock that Bucky collected. Uh, definitely, Sam, Amy's character, is irritated by this by Moise taking advantage of poor Bucky, and they get into an argument. But then uh, Moise proises, or they come to an agreement. Moisa has a stage, like a steam wagon, that has a, a ghost rock engine in it. And uh, Amy's character proposes that he and Hex uh, play a round of poker for that steam engine with them putting down four of their six black horses as collateral or their bet. And, and you know, no surprise, Hex wins. Hex being a huckster wins the poker. The poker. Um, game and they get their steam engine uh, so they can put into onto eventually put into their onto their armored carriage um, they give them a couple horses anyway uh, so Moise is still an ally and is actually impressed by their generosity even though it could have been tense you know he was almost like reaching for his Winchester type of thing uh, but they were cool about it so wow um, that was Deadlands not I guess there was some action and as as Jake's player said we got a lot of story forwardness uh the story moved forward we got some clues to track down this missing agent so very cool it's a really fun adventure i i recommend it i'll probably put the link in the show notes for it um and again it's very sandboxy you can go in many different directions oh i actually missed a scene where while they were trying to get hex to the hotel um there's some sort of shambling walking dead person came into town and uh, sam just kind of shot it down very quickly but um yeah so there definitely there's some weird things going on here in 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 Houston in Houston Hill um so maybe that's why it's called Headstone Hill but we'll find out next time I think we're not going to play for about three weeks so uh I'll catch you guys up next time well thank you for stopping by Thank you for my callers, Jason and Colin. Um, thank you, TJ Drennan, for the intro and outro music. And I hope you had fun listening to my recaps and review. And I will talk to you soon. TJ, take us out. <laughs>